Welcome back to You and Your Money. You're watching You and Your Money with my guest, Henry Biddlecombe. We're talking about investments this evening. If you'd like to call, you can call us on 011-484-0468. I've now been back in the studio four or five weeks. No one wants to call the program. Previously, before we, we were here, we had many calls. So please, 011-484-0468. An opportunity to talk to Henry and to ask Henry any questions you may about the investment world. I'll go back to the emails. We've got Michael in Crackle Park. He says, what are the expectations of a medium-term budget? Well, uh, let, me, let me read that for you. Firstly, it's about putting out the message. It's about really understanding how we're going to um, create economic growth, how we're going to deal with, um, with um, um, government spending, very important component because that's been a very big concern internationally. And we want to know a little bit about tax and we want to understand, although no tax increases will come in this budget, we will get to hear a little bit more how, how, how SARS have collected funds, how those funds have been used and what we're likely to get um, in the main budget, which is towards the end of February. Um, the question in everyone's mind is, is really is how is this windfall going to be used? What is it going to be used for? And when I talk about windfall, the windfall that we've actually um, received um, um, in terms of the enormous profits the mines have made by the big increase in commodities and the taxes paid. So that's what we're expecting. Henry, any comments from you on what we can expect in the midterm budget? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it all uh, depends on how it shapes up relative to market expectations as well. You know, and you mentioned it earlier, given the accelerated collections from the platinum miners and the recent statements from National Treasury, I think the market's expectation is for an incrementally more positive budget outlook. Um, I think you'll see an element of some of the um, temporary social grants become more permanent. But ultimately, Brian, what we're looking for is a credible plan for long-term debt reduction and not just the slower accumulation of debt. Well, I think that's very, very important because we, 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 I mean, internationally, I mean, one of the things that many of the rating agencies have said is government debt's just too high. Yes, it's too high, um, but, but also there's growth pressure as well. Um, so, you know, in, in light of the more anemic growth outlook, you want to see a plan to reduce debt. And, and it, you know, if, um, if circumstances prevail in our favor um, and we experience a little bit of economic growth, that should be, that should be um, their cream on the top. Okay, well, let's go back to our emails. Larry in Scarborough says, with commodity prices falling and South Africans needing to import again to replenish outdated equipment and all the other items that we import, because we don't have much of a manufacturing industry, are we likely to end up with a deficit and not surplus next year? And with our balance of trade, what impact will that have on South Africa? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we're heading back to a budget deficit. I think you had, you know, over the past kind of 18 months, this weird dynamic where the dearth of economic activity locally meant that imports were subdued. And then you had, um, you know, very buoyant commodity prices driving, um, you know, elevated exports. So we had this, this uh, budget surplus for a while, which certainly buoyed the currency. Um, and as that normalizes, um, we'll return to a deficit and that'll put pressure on the rand again. Um, and that's kind of what we expect.
You know, if you think about it over the last number of years, we've actually had a twin deficit. We haven't collected enough in tax, and secondly, we've imported a lot more than we exported. Unfortunately, we don't have a local much of a manufacturing industry. But this last year, the, the anomaly has been that we've actually collected a lot more in tax than what we expected, as well as very, very little being imported. But it's certainly got to come. I mean, if you think about the hospitals and the equipment that's needed, and all the new innovations in manufacturing globally, and the machinery out that a lot of that um, machinery that's outdated, we certainly going to have to start looking at that. Jeffrey in Marigold Park says, "When is it a good time to invest in the market, Henry? <laughs> is there a good time?" Well, it's, there's that old adage: it's it's not timing the market; it's time in the market. So, the, so to the extent that you're not exposed, the, the, now is always a good time to start. Um, but you and I both know that the best approach for a client is always the phased approach. Um, so, you know, to the extent that you can, you just invest a little bit every month over a long, long period of time. And through time, equities go up. That's the beauty of the asset class. Um, and the trick is to invest firstly and secondly, to stay invested. The markets are volatile. I mean, look at what's happened over the last two years. March last year, we were down 33%. And as you pointed out earlier, after that, you've had a magnificent return. So um, invest and stay invested. You know, just, just for viewers, if I can just give you some statistics. If you go back 30 years, 1991, and you take 10-year rolling periods, in other words, not 10-year stages, but 10. So 1991 to 2000, 10 years. Then 1992 to 2001, that's also a 10-year period. And then 1992 to 2000, and, uh, 1993 to 2002, 10 years. If you take all those 10-year periods, there hasn't been one 10-year period other than 2008 to 2009, where you had the financial crisis. Other than that, markets have always outperformed and given investors a far better return. But during that time, there have been bumpy periods where investors have to understand. But if you're a long-term investor, you have to see that through. I mean, I always talk about the word growth and each word, G standing for grow, for G, R standing for taking some risk, the W standing, that's how you create wealth, the T stands for time in the market, as Henry said, and H stands for hold. And the little O is your little face. You can draw your little face. That's how you achieve growth. You have to stay in the market and you have to stay through the bad times. And if you're invested long term, instead of watching daily, weekly or monthly, you will get the, you will get the benefit of markets. The question is obviously the, depending where you're invested because depending which strategy you're in. And there's many changing strategies, uh, you know, if you think about it from the old generation generation in terms of the value stocks to the more growth stocks. So you've got to have a balance in that portfolio. Henry, if you're putting a portfolio, how many, what percentage are you putting in growth stocks? What percentage in value stocks? Yeah, so you, you know, over the last 18 months, you've had this massive bifurcation in the market where growth stocks massively outperformed value stocks. But those jaws have closed again over the last couple of months. Um, so you know, at an incremental level, I, I, I'm still seeing more opportunity in the value space than in the growth space. But you know what's happened over the last month? We've just been through an earnings season where the huge base effects coming through from last year um, have disappointed investors this year. So many of the growth companies are down 20, 30 percent. Um, and these are stories that we like over the next five years. And we're finding some nice opportunity in that space. So I think you'll start to see us rotating from value into growth again over the next quarter or two.
That's why it's very, very difficult to look after your own portfolio. Very difficult to sell a stock when it's down. Also very difficult to sell a stock when you're showing great returns. We saw that with Nasdaq. Uh, Barry and Parker says, how do company valuations correlate with share prices and how expenses is the US market when compared to Europe, Japan and other emerging markets? Yeah, so to answer the second part of that question, first, the US market is expensive, both relative to emerging markets and to its own history. Um, but at the end of the day, if you look at the, what contributes to the, the growth in a share price, short term, it's valuation. But over the long term, it's actually earnings growth. Um, and over a kind of a 10-year period, valuation actually has very little to do with the returns that you experience. So the most important thing is to make sure that you own companies who are growing their profits, because then it almost doesn't matter. Uh, the valuation that you pay now doesn't matter because in 10 years time, um, earnings growth is what would have driven that share price upward. Um, yeah. Henry, if you're, not, if you're not an income collector, if your, business, if your um, reason for your investments is long-term growth, then the importance of companies Pay, putting ma money back into their business and growing their business rather than paying dividends. Is that a good, is that a good um, uh, indication of how one should be invested? Looking at companies that are actually plowing money back rather than paying out big dividends? Almost always. So it's always a very good signal um, of how management view the company's growth, growth prospects. So if a company is paying very little in the way of a dividend and they're reinvesting all their profits back into the business, that's, all, that's normally a very good sign um, for earnings growth over the next five to 10 years. Um, and that's typically what you'll see in the growth stock, stock space. If a company is paying all of its profits out to the dividend, they're saying that, look, you as an investor can probably do better with the, capital, the, the, the profits that we're generating than we can. Joe in Tiger Valley says, please explain what thematic investing means and how does it compare to buying additional, additional and previous brands? So thematic investing is where you try and identify strong secular themes um, that are driving growth in a certain area over a long period of time. So let's take the last 10 years, for example, and look at something like um, e-commerce or um, video on demand, streaming. Um, instead of trying to pick individual winners, you simply buy a basket of companies that stand to benefit from those trends. And I think it's actually a fantastic way for individuals to invest because it's less about stock picking and it's more about what's recognizing what's going on around you. And if you can do that relatively well, then you stand a, a good chance of beating the market. Um, so I like it as a methodology actually. Well, one needs to realize that statistics come out from different countries and markets. I mean, this week, Chinese CPI and PPI. On Wednesday, the US CPI and PPI also being announced. The UK's third GDP numbers will be released. And in the short terms, these can all have an impact on markets and therefore on your investments. The message is clear. If you understand your investment strategy, time horizon, don't get sidetracked. Henry, I'd like to thank you for joining me this evening. It's important to note that our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program, we'll be dealing with estate planning. And if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.